Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority, Episode 2. Joining me is the one and only really good friend of mine. I, I don't know if there's anybody, and I'm not saying this, I, I, I feel sometimes like the Ben Vereen character in uh, all that jazz, uh, uh, but somebody I truly do admire and... Uh, uh, really one of my dearest friends and uh, I, I think when it comes to hockey there's no one better than uh, Hall of Famer uh, writer for USA Today Kevin Allen. Kevin thanks for joining us as we look at this uh, at this expansion draft coming up. Well it's a pleasure to be here. I always enjoy doing this with you. It just seems like we have, uh, it doesn't seem like work. It seems like we have a little bit of fun when we do these podcasts. Yeah we, well we certainly do and I know you're very busy especially this time of year and I truly appreciate you taking time out. Uh, Anything stand out? We'll get to the Red Wings in a second. I, I was surprised at how many teams decided to not go 7-3-1, meaning seven forwards, three defensemen. I mean, a majority of teams did in one goalie, but there were several teams that uh, decided not to go that way. Did that stand out to you? Well, absolutely, and I think um, it, the uh, strategy that the NHL employed in terms of trying to make this uh, Vegas team competitive right off the bat you could see that, that you know it, it has an, an opportunity to work out and I think that you know being able to only protect three defensemen your top three defensemen if you go the seven three one route that just made it too difficult on some teams I mean everybody has four defensemen that they would like to keep and I think that's why you saw so many teams uh, you know go with the eight players and I you know if you look at the uh, available players where the strength is the depth is on defense and what why that's interesting of course is that there are so many teams around the league that are looking for defensemen and that's why George McPhee is so busy now for the next uh, you know until Wednesday at 10 a.m. because a lot of teams are now calling uh, George McPhee and asking him hey look if you draft this guy will you trade him to us well a couple of teams and you know and maybe that stand out I mean LA protected four defensemen but the New York Islanders kind of went overboard, and this is a team that I think for years everyone's kind of shaken their head since trading Todd Bertuzzi and Roberto Luongo years ago. Uh, is that surprising that they would take five defensemen? The forwards that they took, I mean, they're all good. Andrew Ladd, Anders Lee, and, and, and of course John Travars, but I mean, they, uh, they've left a lot of interesting forwards, especially, I guess, who stands out to me is Brock Nelson available uh, to Las Vegas. Well, for sure. I mean, Brock Nelson, six foot three, three time, twenty goal scorer. Uh, you know, like he seems like a real logical choice for uh, a Vegas team. You know, historically, expansion teams have trouble scoring, and so you know, if there's the, uh, a scorer available, I think you got to sort of jump on him. Now, what's interesting is there are reports that the Islanders are offering a first round pick to the uh, to the Golden. Uh, nights, if they'd be willing to leave their forwards alone and just take one of the defensemen. Now, you know, Calvin DeHaan and Hickey right. are both available exactly. on defense. Those are pretty good hockey players. So now if you're Vegas, you're sort of weighing, okay, do we just want um, to add one of the forwards um, or will we take a defenseman, Calvin DeHaan, for example, a uh, 20-minute defenseman, and add a first-round pick? That's pretty enticing. And then a guy like Brock Nelson or Strom or Josh Bailey could be saved if they do that. Big price to pay? Well, Islanders obviously don't think so. Some veteran forwards are, are, are out there, some big names, including like a Yammer Yager or Patrick Sharp. Do you see 
a big name forward who was left unprotected, who has a pretty big contract or might be going into uh, you know, becoming an unrestricted free agent on July 1st, but do you see Vegas just to try to get some sort of rec name recognition on this team, maybe taking, and I'm just going to use this, although I don't think it's going to happen, like Yarmir Yager suddenly is a Vegas Golden Knight. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, James Neal is probably the one guy that I see that there. Nashville. I mean, he's a uh, you know a decade of scoring twenty or more goals, uh, and uh, you know he's been made available. He just reached the Stanley Cup final. His team lost there. Uh, I'm sure the Predators don't want to lose him. I'm sure they're going to load up and say, "Hey, look, we'll give you this and this and this if you don't take him." But if I'm the uh, the Golden Knights, like I, I don't. I don't see any situation where I'm not taking James Neal because even if you think, okay, his contract expires this year, why not take him uh, to give yourself a legitimate 20-goal score for this season? And at the trade deadline, move him for assets. You know, historically, players of his ilk have gotten usually a second-round draft pick plus a good prospect if they're traded as rentals. So I see that as maybe if I'm listing the top four or five available players for the Golden Knights, I'm James Neal's in that list for me. Well, yeah, certainly, because it, it, and now it appears through the scuttlebutt before the uh, protected list is uh, were announced, or for the couple of weeks, even during the Stanley Cup Final, which you, again, covered so brilliantly. Uh, Kelly Yonkroak, the, the guy that Red Wing fans really yeah. know, because he's part of the David Leguan trade, that it came down to him or James Neal, yeah. as far as who they weren't going to protect, because... You know, again, scuttlebutt in the it, it, for Detroit people were or Detroit fans were that uh, Jan Kroc and probably Tamu Polkinen were going to be reunited <laughs> on the Vegas Golden Knights. Well, Jan Kroc most certainly would have been a choice uh, of the Vegas franchise because for multiple reasons. You know, he's a you know a third line checking center um, who can score a little bit. Uh, who can slide up and play in the second uh, line if you need him to do that. Uh, and he's tied up for five years at a $2 million. I mean, that's, that's good value for that. And like, he would have been a Golden Knight for 10 years if they had drafted him. Right. I think if Ken Holland would have known he would have signed that long for such a f decent amount of money, they never would have traded him. Yet, and I don't want to revisit this because we hear about it all the time, but it, at that point, Detroit had a lot of centers that were hurt. They wanted to keep that streak going, and Leguan was a local boy who always kind of wanted to wear the red and white. Well, I mean, it was a different uh, teams are always in different situations, and the Red Wings were still believing they had a chance to win. Um, I think the evaluation on Yarn Kroc was he was not going to be a star player. I mean, people forgot, but when he first uh, was drafted, a year later they were comparing him to possibly being Peter Forsberg. And obviously that was not the case. And I think the Red Wings made the evaluation, rightfully, that he was going to be a third-line player. And they thought, well, you know, you know, maybe Legwine could come in and give us a boost. It didn't work out. Uh, and Yarnkrock has turned out to be a pretty valuable role player. Uh, and he, I, you know, he acquitted himself quite well in the postseason. Uh, I thought he was a, a pretty valuable contributor for them. Yeah, well, certainly he was. And if you look at the situation, and I'm going to go to some of the, like the rumors or what McPhee's doing, and then we'll we'll really concentrate on the Red Wings and get your thoughts on uh, uh, on what they may or may not do, and even about the draft that's coming up later in the week. Uh, there is this theory, and I know we talked about this last week, that Vegas is going to draft an abundance of goalies, at least four, if not five, and then trade them and keep two of them. Do you think that 
I mean, they're going to draft more than two, I think we know, but isn't four or five maybe too many? I don't think so. I think, you know, they're all going to find homes, uh, uh, you know, before the music stops. Uh, like Calvin Pickard is a guy that I think they'll take out of Colorado. Colorado's not offering much, and Pickard's a pretty valuable goalie. I think uh, a team might say, okay, uh, let's bring him in as our backup for now, and then we'll see what's happening. So you, you if they do that, you trade Pickard to, you know, uh, you know who knows, Philadelphia, uh, Winnipeg is looking for a goalie. Vancouver is unsettled. Like I think he'd be a great choice for uh, the Vancouver Canucks that are, you know, trying to rebuild a little bit, get a younger goalie, bring him in there. Uh, so I think there are a lot of options, but I think they will take multiple goalies. I think they will take at least four goalies. Uh, and uh, I think Fleury's their guy. I think he'll be the Golden Knights' uh, number one goalie. And uh, you know who their backup is? Who knows? But I think Fleury is their guy. When uh, when you look at the uh, at the situation, um, <clears throat> and before we get into the Red Wings and specifically the goaltenders there, uh, it appears with the expansion fee that Vegas had to pay, and I know you touched upon this, but. I'm looking at the players available and the movement that is also going to go on. I know that Columbus now supposedly has a deal that you can't take these players, and we, you know we're hearing all kinds of things. Um, it appears that this is going to be a pretty competitive hockey team coming right out of the gate. Well, I, yes and no. Like I, what I've been saying <laughs> is, it's going to be better than expansion teams of the past. But I don't think it's going to be quite as good as the NHL hoped it would be. However, I think they've ended up being ingenious in the way this has worked out. Because what this team is going to have, which is going to propel them quicker than other expansion teams, is they're going to be able to create a bunch of other important assets. And by that I mean already we see they probably are going to have three first-round picks in this year's draft. And I bet they're going to end up with some in the next couple of drafts. That'll allow them to expedite quickly, and I think they're going to probably pick up some, uh, you know, some young prospects as well for you know not taking this guy or taking this contract. And I think that's going to help them more uh, than the fact that they they limited who teams could protect. I, I think this ability um, to have these guys available and to trade them to get other prospects. Like for example, let's look at Anaheim. They got uh, Vatnin available, right. uh, and they got Manson. Those are really desirable players. A veteran player like Vatten and a puck-moving defenseman, 10, 12, 15 teams in this league would love to have Vatten right now. So uh, they make him available, and now they're going to pay some price. Is it going to be two or three good players? Is it going to be Shea Theodore, uh, a first-round pick up the road, a second-round pick? You know, what's it going to be to protect all those assets? And you know, but that's going to help. I think the Golden Knights even more than if they would have just gotten the one player. So I think that's, even even though everyone talked as if what was really going to help the expansion team was the fact that there was a limited number of players that you could protect, I think what's really going to help them is to be able to, to move those assets to other teams to get others. The way the teams maneuvered around and some of the deals that they made and some players maybe that they bought out or tra- players that were willing to uh, waive their no-trade clause within the last 10 days or so, um, it, it appears that George McPhee is looking at it thinking, well, we can put a pretty competitive team on the ice, 
But like most general managers, especially if you're an expansion team general manager, he's really thinking down the road four or five years from now where all these assets, as you said, that they've traded for number one draft picks, that is when they're really going to make their move. Well, I think so. I think, uh, uh, I think I read somewhere where the owner was talking about a five or a six year plan to, you know, to be a contending team. Uh, but they expect to make the playoffs, you know, much quicker than that. And, you know, they, they could do that. I mean, like the, their defense right off the bat, um, you know, they could have Mathot, they could have Dumba, they could have Calvin DeHaan. They could have six legitimate NHL defensemen um, that, you know, will be a real credible defense. So right off the bat, and they'll have goaltending. Now, isn't that what the Predators just got to the Stanley Cup final with? Defense and goaltending? And, yes. You know, so now it won't be quite as good as the National Predators, but, but it'll be pretty good. Uh, now, the big question is, is where they're going to get their goals. You know, uh, they, uh, um, you know uh, they're not going to be a high-scoring team. I don't see a lot of goal scores that were uh, made available, and they're going to be counting on guys like Lee Stempniak and, uh, you know, if they get James Neal, um, you know, uh, they're they're going to be scrambling to get to get goals. Uh, Pittsburgh was one of the teams that decided to go with uh, protecting. Uh, they didn't go seven three one. Um, the forwards they protected were all pretty darn good, obviously. Yeah. Sidney Crosby, Patrick Holmquist, Phil Kessel, uh, Evgeny Malkin, um, and then they decided to trade. You know, pardon me, trade not to, uh, but but to keep on uh, four defensemen. And uh, and I'm kind of wondering. You're very familiar with this team. Uh, you know, I, I, I tease you all the time. You have Sidney Crosby on speed dial. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, surprised by that? Or or do you think, because they left a few guys exposed that, you know, uh, that have contributed to this team. And, and people that are familiar with Brian Rust, who's from here, Carl Haglin, who also, uh, you know, uh, started Michigan and, and, and dealt with and dealt with injuries. Uh, Chris Kunitz, who's maybe on, on the last leg of his career. And another, you know, Trevor Daly, Ian Cole, who's uh, an Ann Arbor guy who played very, very well uh, for, uh, for Pittsburgh during this uh, recent playoff run. Yeah, see, but I think they have uh, the utmost confidence. Uh, I think this deal has been hatched a long time ago uh, that Fleury is going to be uh, the Vegas goalie. I, I think they went to him a while ago because, you know, let's face it, they needed to know what was going to happen because they couldn't be, if he wasn't going to waive his no-movement clause, they were going to be stuck because, you know, they had to make, oh, they could only protect one goalie, so if they had to protect him. And, boy, what good fortunate it is for the Penguins that Fleury is a great guy. Like, what's he known most for? Being a great teammate. Right. Is, is this not being the ultimate teammate to, to with a championship team when they've got a great young goalie that they could have been in a bind if he insisted on on uh, no movement? That he could have made this team in a tremendous bind, but he didn't. He said, no, I'll step aside. Uh, Murray's going to be the guy. I'll waive my no movement. I agree to go to Vegas. And I think that was all... Predetermined. Well, in a sense, and I guess the reason I brought this question up is that I knew that Florida would be taken by them. But do you think that guys who were protected or unprotected, or in Pittsburgh's situation, it might be easy to, to put this list together because they know which player they're going to lose, that egos are bruised a little bit. I, you know, I, I know that uh, several GMs and Detroit Red Wing Ken Holland, uh, general manager being one of them, didn't really want to comment on the guys that they left unprotected because they're only going to lose a player. The rest of these guys that were left unprotected are basically coming back to that team. Yeah. No, I, you know, I, I've been asked that question on several radio shows and I've talked to people 
about it. I, I think in this modern era, players do understand the separation between church and state, in this case, and business in terms of the team. <laughs> but, you know, saying all that, you know, if you're Ian Cole and you're such a, a you know important contributor on that Pittsburgh Penguin team, it's hard to look down and say, you know, they don't rank me among the top eight players on this team. You know, I think I am eight, you know. <laughs> you know, you know? So I, I, it, it's got to be psychologically troubling for some of these players. But on the other hand, as I said, I think most of them understand that if you're going to um, play in this league and make this kind of money, you got to ex- accept the fact that your ego is going to get bruised a little bit. You m- mentioned Marc-Andre Fleury. Let's get to the Red Wings here. Uh, I think among the fan base, but I think people – quote-unquote, who cover the team or that are in the know, realize that it's not that much of a surprise that perhaps Peter Mrazek was left unprotected because you've talked about, and I'm, I, I'm, going, you know, I'm speculating here a little bit about Marc-Andre Fleury's a great guy, uh, he's a great teammate. There has been some question, I, you know, I keep telling people, this isn't so much what the Red Wings think of Jimmy Howard as much as what they think of Peter Mrazek at this stage in his career. Or, or, or maybe a combination of both. Uh, and this is the way I view this situation. I, and I wrote earlier this week, if you look at it just strictly from the numbers, there's eight years difference between the two. Right. You know, uh, Mrazic still has a, uh, a potential to uh, be one of the league's best goalies. Uh, from that perspective, it seems like an easy decision. You move out the old guy, you keep the new guy because he's cheaper, he's younger, he's got more potential. Here's the problem. The problem is Jimmy Howard played super last season, and Mrazek struggled. And he hasn't fit well within this, this team system, and I think that's, that's the issue. Uh, you know, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, he doesn't uh, uh, feel comfortable here or whatever the reason, he just doesn't seem to be as good a fit. Where Jimmy Howard is a good guy in terms of he fits well with everyone, the teammates, the coaching staff, and so forth. You know, I thought it was noteworthy that uh, Blashill took the uh, Team USA to the World Championships. Who's the guy that said, I want to go? It was Jimmy Howard. Jimmy Howard wanted to go over when, when Blashell was the coach. And even before, I think he just wanted to play. And those, those kind of things add up. And um, I, I think uh, the Red Wings had to have explored uh, the potential for trades for both goalies because Ken Holland usually leaves no stone unturned. And, you know, I don't think they would have left Morazic um, unprotected if they would have had an avenue to correct this to their advantage. In other words, I think if they could have traded Morazic, they would have. Uh, I, I just don't think they were able to work out a deal. Um, and, you know, for that reason, they just left him unprotected. Now, saying all that, he may not be taken. You know, I mean, Riley Sheehan is a pretty desirable player. Right, yeah, people, <clears throat> Red Wing fans may not realize that, but at the trade deadline, the Red Wings fielded probably more uh, inquiries about Riley Sheehan's availability than almost every player on their roster. Oh, for sure. <clears throat> I, I knew for a fact that prior to last season, the Edmonton Oilers, you know, had targeted Riley Sheehan as a the guy they wanted to go at, after. As, as Peter Shirelli was sort of building this new team with... Connor McDavid, one of his visions was, hey, let's get a young Riley Shan, bring him in, lock him in as our three center, and, you know, 215 pounds, a little bit of grit, we'll score 12 to 14 goals 
a season. You know, he didn't get that last year. We all know his story. But right. to me, all that was a lot of that was self fulfilling. I think he got on a, in a in a bit of a slump. The more he talked about it, the worse it got. And then, you know, finally the dam broke in the last game of the season, and we'll all remember who scored the last goal at Joe Lewis Arena because of that. But, but saying all that, I, I, I think it's not out of the realm of possibility that Riley Shane could still be the guy um, just because there's potential there for him to be a long-term Golden Knight. Or they could take him and, and flip him to a contending team that wants that young, eager uh, third-line center. Uh, like... That one of the issues is the Red Wings actually needed him to score. You know, right? A, a team uh, that may uh, be in contention here may not need Riley Shane to score. They just may need him to do elsewhere, do other uh, aspects of uh, winning hockey games. Well, the interesting thing about him is that his coach at Notre Dame, Jeff Jackson, who you know is a native uh, Michiganian or Michigander, however way you want to say it, and uh, uh, he told me that when he arrived as a freshman. He had never had a player like this, and Jeff is, you know, at Lake Superior State, uh, in the OHL. I mean, he's coached all over. He's won a national championship, <clears throat> pardon me, in college. Riley Shane's the only player that he ever had to beg to shoot the puck because all he thinks is playing defense. He plays defense first, and to have, he said, especially at that level, at college level, where everyone wants to be a scorer, every forward, this kid was different, and that is also, I think, something attractive is because defensively, he is extremely sound. Well, for sure, and he has good hands and good skill. Like, uh, uh, you know, there was no reason for him not to score only a couple of goals last season. I mean, he was uh, a guy that should be in that 12 to 14 range, you know, every season. So, you know, it's not a uh, – I think those are really the only two guys that I see that could possibly – uh, move out of that out of that group, and you know, and it could be, you know, like would the Winnipeg Jets say to themselves, Connor Hollebeck, you know, we still believe in him, but what if we could get Morazic in to be his partner? Um, would they consider that? Because uh, there was at one point I had heard an undercurrent around the league about perhaps a trade between the Jets and uh, the Red Wings uh, for Morazic. So you know, that's a possibility. The Philadelphia Flyers. They need a goalie as well. Again, I mentioned the Vancouver Canucks looking for, uh, you know, sort of changing their fortunes around. Ryan Miller uh, is an unrestricted free agent. You know, do they bring in a younger guy there like Morazic? I mean, I don't know what sort of offers, uh, if any, that uh, McPhee will get uh, involving uh, Morazic. But it's a possibility. And I, it's possible that teams that have said no to the Red Wings about uh, because I'm sure the Red Wings also talked to Calgary about Jimmy Howard. They were interested in Jimmy Howard, I, I had heard through the grapevine. So, uh, you know, probably there were teams aware that the Red Wings were leaning toward keeping Howard. If Morazek isn't taken, Detroit has almost $10 million in salary in the goaltending position. And one of the things of pride that the organization used to talk about is that we really have good quality goaltending and we're not really spending that much money on it, yeah. uh, that's not going to be the case. Do you think eventually, whether Mora if Morazek is not taken, that Detroit will make a move with one of these two goalies? Well, uh, I, they probably would have a difficulty doing that if, if Vegas can't do it. You know, if, if Vegas can't make a deal, then how are the revenues going to make a deal? And I, as I said, I'm pretty sure uh, before they left him unprotected, they, they they scouted and saw what was available. There obviously was not a market for him, or they, or they would have 
I've dealt with. Well, I guess that's my point, is that if they leave Mrazek unprotected and Vegas doesn't take him, doesn't that make him almost untradeable? I mean, the, well, because they're everyone left him unprotected. What it says is there was no value for Mrazek. I mean, what it says is, because <laughs> Vegas, I guarantee you, is calling all those teams I mentioned. I, I, right. I'm 100% certain that George McPhee will talk to Winnipeg, Philadelphia, Vancouver, and every other team about Mrazek. So, if they don't take him, I think what that says is, is it wasn't worth our time. It wasn't, you know, we couldn't get enough in return for him, and we didn't want him. So, what that says is, not that he isn't untradeable, it just says that he has no value. So, yeah, in that respect, I guess he would be untradeable. Well, when I look at it that way, then, it's... Uh and Ken Holland has said there's no side deal with Vegas not to take any of their players or anything like that. But could this be a wake-up call for Peter Morazek if he isn't taken uh, because he is supremely confident. Anybody that covers him, yeah. and, and he has shown brilliance in the past, and you know he's won at every level. You know He was a great goalie for the Ottawa 67s. He won a Calder Cup for Grand Rapids. He came in here his first you know season or two and a half and and really put up great numbers. And then the bottom seemed to drop out on him. Do you think the Red Wings are trying to send him a message, even though they say they don't have a side deal with Vegas, that Riley Shan most likely is the player taken? Where does that leave Peter Morazek? Because there have also reports circulating that he has an, a bit of an attitude problem. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I, I think the, where it would put Morazek is he would just, you know, we'd start the season with them competing for a job, or, in, in my mind, Howard is ahead, because, uh, uh, you know, if he wouldn't have had that injury, that would have been the case. I mean, Howard had a remarkably uh, strong season, and, and Morazek did not. I think if you're, you're starting a competition, if we're going to play a hockey game for the Red Wings on Thursday, isn't Jimmy Howard in, in net for you? I mean, I think he has to be based on uh, how well he played and how um, poorly uh, Morazic performed. So I think you'd bring him back. Like, it's not out of the realm of possibility that uh, um, Peter Morazic could rehabilitate his career and be the difference maker. I mean, we all see him as a home run hitter. Like, right. uh, like this is a guy who, you know, might you know, have that monster year where he wins 40 games and, and, and posts a one nine eight. He's capable of doing that. Goals against average. Uh, all right, Kevin, I'm going to put you on a spot here. You know, I like to do that, and usually you respond. Uh, when it's all said and done, I mean, Xavier, well, maybe people thought a nice young defenseman who was a plus player, I think, for the Red Wings on a team that didn't have many plus players, or he might have been at zero, but he wasn't a minus player is my point. Um, he's not going to be taken. You think it comes down to Shea or Morazic at the end of the day, and I know that there's all kinds of wheeling and dealing, and this is Monday afternoon that we're doing this, uh, so there could be something, but Wednesday night, when the new Vegas Golden Knights are, uh, are, are introduced in, at the award ceremony in Vegas, uh, or Las Vegas, I guess I can say, uh, what Red Wing is going to be on that roster? Yeah, it's a tough question. Um, but, I, you know, and this is just a hunch, but I think it might be Mrazek. I, I, I just think that now uh, there's still a romance with him. You know, the reality of Mrazek has been... He was good for a while, and then he was poor. But the romance of Morazic is just what I said: is boy, he's a home run hitter. Like you know, he might uh, 
you know, you might uh, come in and, and really be a difference. And if you're a rebuilding team, wouldn't you take a chance on that? So I, I think there would be, there might be some value now that the, you know, the Red Wings are not chopping them, and they can just, you know, deal with a new element. Maybe the, uh, they'll figure out a way to get this done. Where does that? I guess they get some salary cap relief. At uh, four million dollars is what he's due this season. He's in the second year of a two-year deal, an eight million dollar deal, uh, but. I believe that if Peter Morazek is taken, uh, Red Wing fans again are going to be just you know beside themselves. Um, are you stunned really by the way that this has kind of played itself out? Well, I'm not. Uh, the expansion uh, draft is set up for teams to lose important players, and uh, uh, you know it was a judgment call, uh, and they they made it. So I'm not totally stunned by it, but uh, you know I think it would require. A shift in uh, emphasis for the Red Wings in terms of the draft. Like I'd guarantee you, they'll draft a goalie if Morazic is. Uh, you know, they'll take some guy to hope. Uh, you know, he's the next young thing. They'll probably take one next year too. Uh, you know, I, I I think when you know there was really no great uh, urgency for the Red Wings to take a goalie when you had you know such a young guy. Um, that looked like he was going to be your starter for a long time. Now your starter would be 33 years old, and the guy in waiting, we're not so sure about anymore. Well, when you look at it that way, I mean, uh, Jared Carroll won a, won a Calder Cup, yeah. and uh, you know he could be serviceable. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if he's going to ever be a standout goalie at the NHL level, but he could be. But so you're, what you're telling me is the Red Wings have 11 picks, as we know, in the upcoming draft, which is this weekend in Chicago, the first round on Friday, and then the uh, rounds two through seven on Saturday, is that probably in the first three rounds, they have six picks. One in the first, one in the second, and then four in the third round. Probably one of those six picks is going to be a goaltender. I would, I'll even go on, out on a limb here and say that if Mrazek is picked, that, that, that a second round pick will be used on a goalie. So a second rounder. So the first rounder could still be if one of the valued defensemen fall, um, which would be, I know I'm going to mispronounce her name, so I want to say Heineken, but I know this <laughs> shows you where my mind's at today. Uh, but the Finnish defenseman. Or um, the Swedish defenseman, or uh, Lilligren. Lilligren, or if uh, and the other kid, Makar. Makar. If if one of those guys is there, they might go there. But maybe Lilligren. Some project maybe, but most likely the Red Wings are going to probably end up trying to get a high skill, high forward centerman with that ninth pick. Yeah, there's a lot of really good centermen um, that are available. I don't think uh, Jim Nill is going to pass on any of the defensemen at three unless he trades the pick. But I think one of those defensemen are going there, and uh, if he doesn't take Makar, if he takes the Finn, uh, I, I think Makar's going to the top five. Like, uh, there were some rumblings this week that um, Patrick, Nolan Patrick, right. was going to take a Seth Jones-like fall to four Whoa. because of the excitement over the defenseman. That Makar and the Finn were both going to move into the top three. Uh, which was going to push. Now, that's exactly what happened to Seth Jones, if you recall. And it's probably the only regret that our good friend Steve Eisenman ever has about uh, being a general manager because he's been on near flawless in most of his moves. But if you remember, he chose to go with Jonathan Druin at three and bypass Seth Jones, who went to four. 
to the Nashville Predators. And then he ends up trading Jonathan Druin right now. To get? A defenseman. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Uh, surprised by anything, and I know we have to wrap it up here, surprised by anything that is that has occurred, because I know you were you, know, you were knee-deep into the Stanley Cup Finals here. Uh, uh, Druin trade, the Rangers buying out uh, uh, Girardi, or, or, you know, anything like that, or... Uh, no, but I, I think all of those moves are really interesting. Um, you know, I think Druin, um, you know, the, the extra element of the Druin trade was setting up their expansion list. Uh, uh, Cooper, uh, who has a lot of roots in, in Michigan, uh, you know, having right. uh, uh, been here, he really likes Killorn. He didn't want to lose him. If they wouldn't have traded Druin, they would have had to left Alex Killorn unprotected, um, and they didn't want to do that. And so that by trading Druin for a guy who's not under contract, or maybe he's under contract, but he, he, he wouldn't qualify to be protected, uh, Surikev, who was in uh, uh, with the Windsor Spitfires, they, they now opened up a spot to bring Kaloran. So that, you know, that's, to me, that's just good management. That's, you know, what we know Eisenman for. Um, but, you know, I expected a lot more trades. Like, we, I, I really felt like there were going to be lots of moves this week, and it just didn't happen. No, it, it certainly didn't. And one thing we do know, um, Steve is a very, uh, very straightforward, nice guy, but he's not kind of the guy you want to kind of cross, shall we say. So, and I think that uh, Druin and his camp probably, I, I, I think anybody that knows Stevie knows that they weren't surprised that eventually he was going to not be a Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's... Fair, I you know, it's, I'm not. It's, Druin is certainly a highly skilled, dynamic player, um, and boy, this is a case where he was born to play for the Canadians. Oh yeah, uh, you know, I mean that style. I mean, the Canadians are not the flying Frenchman anymore, but you know, he can play that style. He's a very uh, creative, playmaking uh, player, and you know, he had instant uh, uh, fan love the minute he uh, came there, and. Uh, you know, the, the Lightning, meanwhile, got exactly the player they want. I mean, this kid could easily be as good as Seth Jones, maybe better. You know, he's you know 6'3", like Jones, and he's a puck mover. Uh, and I hear that he's uh, pretty strong defensively. He's essentially, it's almost like you're describing Seth Jones. He's, he's pretty good at everything. Right. Well, Kevin, on that, uh, I know that you're busy, so I uh, appreciate the time. Uh, the Red and White Authority appreciates you being on. This podcast is yours just as much as it's mine uh, and uh, I always enjoy talking to you as you know and uh, thank you very much and uh, we'll certainly have you on this podcast uh, whenever you're available. Well I'll, I'll do it anytime you want to have me on. So. All right thank you very much Kevin. Thank you.